0: Shamanism is a group of different kinds of spiritual practices and understandings that really start in this idea of another world or other realms. And the shaman being a person having the capacity to tap into those realms and to be able to go on these extraordinary journeys through the realms and ultimately come back to the tribe or to their community with something beneficial from having taken that journey. And so I think that's really the, the key element that uh, really defines shamanism is that idea of this otherworldliness that's part of you know earth and part of earth life and earth consciousness that is that's completely foreign to just normal everyday consciousness. You are now listening to the Soul and Wonder podcast,
1: episode seventy five: The Shamanic Path with Hamilton Souther.
2: Welcome to the Soul and Wonder Podcast, where the
0: conduits of the body, depths of the mind, and atlas of the soul are explored
2: with devotion. Through cultural exchange, Christopher and Sarah and their guests will deliver sacred wisdom from around the globe, uncovering the hidden gems of conscious living and holistic healing, all to empower you on your journey of self-discovery. And now, here are your hosts, Christopher and Sarah. Hello everybody, Christopher and Sarah here to welcome you back to a, another episode of the Soul in Wonder podcast where every other week we bring you new interviews with super cool and world-renowned thought leaders, authors, and the like to support you in your personal growth and spiritual evolution. So whether you've been with us for a super long time or you're new to our show, we're really happy that you've decided to join us for another awesome episode. Today we have Hamilton Souther, Master Shaman and founder of Blue Morpho Shamanic Retreats. We're really, really excited to dive into the interview, but before we do so, we want to remind you to make sure that you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And of course, if you love what you hear, please leave a review and share with your friends and family. That's the way that we get this information to spread and help us to grow.
1: Yes, and of course, if you are on social media, which I don't know why you wouldn't be in 2019, you can find us on Instagram at Soul and Wonder Love. Tag us in your favorite episode. Which one's your favorite? Which ones you've been listening to? We've been getting a lot of messages lately. Really love hearing from everybody. And of course, on Facebook at Soul and Wonder. So. Let's talk about Hamilton a little bit. Hamilton is the CEO, master shaman of visionary plant medicines, and founder of Blue Morpho Shamanic Ayahuasca and Sacred Plant Retreat Center in the Peruvian Amazon. Be found at bluemorphotours.com. And over the last twelve years, Hamilton has meticulously studied and mapped modern mental illnesses to help thousands of his clients from around the world with depression, anxiety drug addiction, and PTSD.
2: Some of the topics that we cover in today's interview obviously all fall underneath shamanism, but we're going to talk about common Western misconceptions, even misconceptions about shamanism in these local cultures that he has lived for so long. Uh, We're going to talk about the pitfalls and the benefits. And most importantly, we're going to talk about how plant medicine has transformed people's lives. He has some incredible stories to share. And we're also going to talk about if you're looking to find a shaman for your healing path, what to look for and how to also maintain the integrity of shamanism if you're someone who feels called to walk the shamanic path. And Hamilton also shares with us a lot of awesome updates and things that he's up to recently that you're going to want to tune into.
1: And so with that said, we hope you enjoy the interview.
2: All right. Welcome back, listeners. We're excited. We've got Hamilton with us. Hamilton all the way in Iquitos. How's it going there today?
0: It's going really well. It's been a little cool for us, which is nice. And that just means the temperature has been down in the 70s instead of the 90s. So it's been a little <laughs> cool kind of couple days, but uh, it's been really nice.
2: And so muggy, though. like <laughs> Thick.
0: <laughs> oh, Thick. Muggy. It's thick. Yeah. 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 You can <laughs> cut the air with your hand. It's super thick. <laughs> We were, just
1: for the listeners, we were sharing some things off air about uh, Sarah and I's experience in Iquitos and just reliving the memories a little bit, but uh, that's, I'm so glad to to talk to you and, and really dive into shamanism because this is a topic for, you know, Sarah and I that, you know, I guess maybe four or five years ago, getting into deeply into herbal medicine and, and really just experiencing
2: energetic work. Energetic
1: work. And really just experimenting with uh, these realms has obviously brought us down the rabbit hole. And obviously, I'm sure you share the same feelings about that, considering the field that you're in. And so, you know, I guess starting out, what exactly is shamanism
0: and what got you started on your shamanic path? Sure. You know, shamanism is a group of different kinds of spiritual practices and understandings that really start... In this idea of another world or other realms, and the shaman being a person having the capacity to tap into those realms and to be able to go on these extraordinary journeys through the realms and ultimately come back to the tribe or to their community with something beneficial from having taken that journey, and so I think that's really the the key element that uh, really defines shamanism is that idea of this otherworldliness that's part of you know, earth and part of earth life and earth consciousness, that is, that's is—that's completely foreign to just normal everyday consciousness. And mm-hmm. then that ability to, to go into that altered state and actually have it be beneficial, not just a trip or, or just a personal experience, but something that can help others.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I've heard the expression used before that it's like the shaman is almost like one foot In this world, and another foot straddling the line into the other realms, like you were speaking about. And to me, that puts such a clear picture of the way a shaman brings from, you know, the wisdom and knowledge and experience from the heavens, so to speak, down to earth for people to integrate and understand.
0: Absolutely. I mean, the shaman, you know, gets a calling traditionally that can look Uh, Like a variety of different forms. Sometimes it's from illnesses. Sometimes it's uh, traumas that take place. Other times it's a natural gift that they feel like they're born with. But uh, around the world, tribal societies have always seen these figures of their communities as having that extraordinary ability to tap into something else. And as they get trained and live out their life as a shaman, it becomes obviously easier and easier to that idea of really straddling that line and being part in this world and part in a constant communication with the other worlds and the spirits and different beings that they work with.
2: Mm. And so what got you started on your path?
0: In my life, it uh, occurred out of a series of spontaneous visions I started to have in my early 20s. I really had found this place in my life where I felt like I, I wasn't sure of my direction or where to go. And uh, it's actually my mom. She came up with a great idea for me to give my life back to spirit. And so I I literally did that without much belief in uh you know, the whole thing. I had no idea what would ultimately happen, but I really did give my life back to spirit and then spirit showed up. And as a way to try to put context to it, I turned to shamanism as the means to explain the nature of the visionary experiences that I was having and the kinds of spirits that I was seeing. Mm. Mm. That's
2: really intriguing. Yeah, it was
0: completely spontaneous. It was a, it was something like I said. I didn't believe in it. I didn't have a context specifically for it. I had studied anthropology in college, and so I had heard about through the studies, you know, cultures that had shamans and their different beliefs. But it was something that wasn't directly part of my own life. And so when I started to have these experiences, and they were corroborated, it wasn't just a, you know, a random, you know. Kind of vibe where you you think you see something. I was really in connection with uh, beings and what other people in the spiritual community called spirits, and I was able to see them. And other seers were also able to see them. And I just didn't have a context for that kind of experience. You know, I knew that I was lucid and in sense sane, but having this dramatically altered experience because of, uh, you know, the inclusion of, of aspects of my consciousness that just hadn't been there before. And ultimately they were very direct and gave me direction to go to Peru and to seek shamanism in Peru as a means to find answers for what was happening.
1: Wow. Wow. Th- that's incredible, and and I know oftentimes when you know we may get visions here and there, and sometimes you have to put the puzzle pieces together, and you have to kind of piece everything together to figure out exactly what these messages are trying to tell you. But to have such clarity, that is
0: that's insane. That's really cool. I love hearing that. Yeah, you know, thank you. I mean, it was it was really odd, and I also took it, you know, from a kind of scientific background, a, a idea of a hypothesis and a method to try to understand the experience. You Mm -hmm. know, I I wasn't uh, separated from that world in any kind of way of rational thinking or logical thinking, and so I really wanted corroboration. I wanted proof from the spiritual world that this was real and guided and directed and purposeful. I didn't want it to just be a flight of fancy or a delusion. I mean that would have been the worst case scenario is that you just, Mm -hmm. you know, wake up delusional one day to, to what was going on. But and so I really did demand this kind of, but not not pushy demand, but demand in an insistent kind of way that there be that level of clarity and that level of sign and corroboration throughout the entirety of the journey to ultimately finding my apprenticeship in shamanism and then studying. After that, I mean, I was I, everything had come true that I had seen in my visions. And so by that time, I didn't have any doubts or questions. And I was just, you know, in my early 20s, really embracing the apprenticeship and embracing that, that trajectory. But at first, you know, it was very scary and, and foreign to me. And so I really wanted there to be that level of, uh, you know, clarity to the visions and, and also, you know, guiding associated with them
1: and and one question kind of to get into the next segment that we'll go into but what did this look like at this time i mean were you having you know consistent visions for a long time or was this pretty abrupt where you had the visions
0: contemplated for a bit
1: and then you find yourself in peru what did what did that look like
0: No, I mean, from the day that I started having the visions, I didn't stop. It was really uh, wild. It's like a fundamental change or shift in consciousness took place. And I was all of a sudden able to be tapped in. And I found through uh, texts on traditional shamanism that I was experiencing something that was, you know, very akin to a traditional calling, even though it was happening in the modern world and Mm -hmm. in, uh, you know, California at the time, which was just really odd you know, for a, a location and a time for this to be happening. But in terms of the the consciousness itself, it was, you know, really just a traditional calling that you could read about in anthropological books or shamanic books. And um, it was coming through the dream states. And I was also having eyes wide open visions and also presences and awarenesses that I could describe to people. And I started to do um, just drum. Uh, journeys, you know, where you have a, a single Buffalo mm-hmm. drum or, you know, you could even use a CD that has just a continuous drum beat and it helps somebody go into a trance state or specifically a theta trance state. And so I started to do some of those practices from books that I had read and every single time I would be in a visionary state and the visions were always the, the, uh, really consistent in terms of the message, which was that something was unfolding and that I needed to go on the journey and that through the journey, I would can. You know, continuously be guided, and that it would ultimately lead me to the apprenticeship that I found in the Amazon. Mm.
2: Your description of your experience, I think, is really important to distinguish um, to listeners too, if they've noticed, I'm sure, that the shamanic path for you was an instruction from spirit. So, like, other people. See spirit, receive messages from spirit. For example, we do and have for a long time. And they've given us messages on what to do, where to go, um, you know, taking that leap of faith, just following your heart, coming in the form of visions and all kinds of other manners. And but
1: even when to conceive our baby.
2: Even <laughs> when to conceive our child.
1: Amazing. So
2: but your shamanic path was birthed out of the specific instruction from spirit to guide you and direct you there. And that's what I think is beautiful because it shows the similarities of the capability we all have to tune into our extrasensory perception, our other, you know, our, our innate self, our wisdom, our source. Um, But to be able to, Follow the instruction. So you seized the wisdom that was handed to you and you ran with it. And that's what puts you in that category of shaman, someone who says, okay, I'm going to listen to what spirit's telling me. I'm going to pay attention to my visions that are very, very clear and I'm going to actually do it. And so I, I think that's really admirable because I hear, do hear of some people who join or want to become a shaman, but don't necessarily have these sorts of indications that it's their calling. Like you use that word calling.
0: Yeah. You know, I think that's the difference between what we think of in, as like the new shamanism or the new awakening of shamanism and what was really traditional. The traditional way always came with a calling and it mm-hmm. wasn't a, a self chosen calling. It wasn't that people were, like you're saying, just separated from spirit. I I agree with you completely that we all have these innate skills and we all have these innate abilities. And if we tap into them and we can, um, you know, grow them and, in their, their strength and their ability within us, we can get better at it and we can, you know, even learn how to listen more to spirit and be even more guided by spirit. But in my case, it really was a traditional calling. And it Mm -hmm. funny enough led me to traditional shamans and, the shamans that I met had been having visions that somebody like me was going to come and arrive and they were ultimately going to train them for a very long period of time for about 10 years before I actually arrived. And I think that that's just a difference now between, you know, what is sort of this, a new awakening of shamanism and people who are looking for a path and looking for a connection and feel really guided and bonded with the idea of shamanism and those that from the the traditional ways really did have a calling that was more brought to them than even by choice mm-hmm. and ultimately in the shamanic apprenticeship is where you see whether or not that calling is you know real or legitimate by by being in this state of testing that ability and testing that resolve and that decision to ultimately making it through apprenticeship and being considered a master shaman Mm-hmm.
1: And I know, um, you know, obviously not from experience, but I've, you know, I've, through books and through, you know, hearsay and hearing other people what that journey is actually like. And I, I can understand, um, at least from my perception, that that is quite a difficult and challenging journey. And before maybe we get into that, I'm curious, how were you received when you got down to Peru? Of course, you had this apprenticeship set up, but how were you received by the natives that were obviously passing this this knowledge and this wisdom down to you?
0: Well, it's really interesting. You know, um... I ended up making friends with the natives that lived near us in the forest because I lived really deep in the forest, about 24 hours away from the city of Iquitos. Wow. And Yeah, deep. I mean, literally my house that I built with my own hands was the last house on the river and upriver. There were no inhabitants on this tiny little tributary. And I was guided literally to that spot, which is uh, you know, even more interesting. And in my first ayahuasca ceremony, I had visions that I was supposed to stay there and train and I thought that was literally insane because it wasn't with the shaman. They didn't say in the visions, you're going to be training with the shaman. And I ultimately didn't train with the shaman that I first drank with, but they said, you're literally going to stay here and train. And that's actually what happened. And the master shaman that I ultimately trained with Julio Gerena Pinedo uh, lived 500 yards away. And I didn't know that at the time that I was in that visionary experience, mm-hmm. you know, so I ended up making friends with the natives and um, they were, you know, really supportive, but they were not uh, of me being there, but not supportive of a, a Westerner or a foreigner being brought in and learning shamanism. It was actually taboo in, mm-hmm. at that period of time and in that part of the forest to to train a, a foreigner or an outsider. And so it didn't just happen, even though the calling had been there, it actually took a year and a half before I was fully accepted into apprenticeship. And so I had to live out in the forest and make friends and gain trust and confidence with the locals to the point that they would actually accept me.
2: You know, that actually leads me into this question um, that I jotted down to make sure to ask you, because I feel like that brings up a really important topic. You know, in this new age, it really does seem that more and more Westerners are feeling called to practice shamanism. And like you said, at first, the, the natives were a little bit skeptical, maybe is the proper word. Um, how can we ensure that this rise of the number of foreign shamans maintains the integrity of traditional and indigenous practices?
0: I think it comes down to the shaman and their intentions. You know, the shamanism is a, it's an alive practice. It's constantly evolving and changing based on the practitioners. And you know, I've always said there's there's no like basic course of shamanism in the traditional world. You just get tossed into apprenticeship and you start learning. And so it really comes down to our intentions as practitioners, why we're doing it and what we're we're seeking and and it's our own integrity that ultimately represents the integrity of the practice. And I think, you know with the locals, And with indigenous people that have been the caretakers of this sacred medicine and knowledge for so long, literally thousands and thousands of years, that we really need to show them why they should trust us. There's a lot of history and reasons to not trust us. And now we're coming from a different mindset and a different perspective. And so I Mm -hmm. think that that's something that can be demonstrated through, you know, trustworthiness and honesty and integrity simply in our own being and the reasons why we're being drawn to the practices in the first place. You know, where I was training, shamanism was dying. The locals were no longer interested in it. The Peruvian government had brought in uh, very tiny little medical outposts along the uh, rivers that could give people pills. And people weren't going to the shamans as much anymore. And um, one of the things that we did was show the locals why shamanism was still so important to their culture. And we really, in that part of the forest, revived shamanism well before we ever created Blue Morpho and started uh, offering the practices to people from all over the world, you know, creating a whole nother kind of revival in the the importance of the practices, but I think that that it's something that we show the locals and and why they should uh, have a new opinion about our reasons for being here and what we're trying to do with their medicine. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, you
1: mentioned something there about how you had to almost retrain the locals into buying into their own um, wisdom and their own lineage that was teaching all of these things, and it's interesting because. The Western footprint runs quite large. And we saw this, um, it was very apparent in Africa. You know, a lot of the, I guess, cultural and tribal traditions of the past were often getting muddled and lost into just this, yeah, stolen into this sea of convenience and all of these different things that were happening there you know, and continuing to, to this day. So actually going, getting back to your roots and how important that is for all of these cultures. Um, because if not, they're going to be swallowed up and lost completely.
2: Well, and that's the paradox is that, you know, the Western footprint has done quite a lot of damage, obviously. I don't think we need to <laughs> go into that. Um, but to hear you say that you, that the Western um rise of shamanism was able to co-create with the indigenous people instead of, you know, projecting or putting their own ideas and thoughts and, you know, concepts onto these people saying oh you need to think this way and do it this way it sounds like it became a co-creative experience that evolved over time into some kind of almost a third entity
0: yeah i think that's a very fair way of looking at it you know the, that's why I was saying shamanism is evolving in the the Western consumerism is from what I can tell from my own travels, literally everywhere. Even mm-hmm. if you go as deep as you can into the Amazon, the last person that you'll find will have Western consumable goods with them, possibly even a cell phone and earbuds. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, that, that proliferation of these goods has just been, you know, dramatic and incredibly fast spreading over the last 20 years and has an incredible draw for people who've never, you know, seen anything like that. And so there's this incredible draw for the children to participate really in the Western consumer world and pay less attention to their forest and especially things that for them are invisible, you know, like this idea of spirit medicine and how to be able to tap in and the shamans, et cetera. And the mythologies behind that really, you know, start to lose their power compared to these incredible gadgets and things like that, that are so tangible that they can, you know, hold on to, or just take a pill and feel better or something, you know, if they're, if they're sick or, you know, or even just a lollipop and that's mm-hmm. such simple sense, but that, that flavor and that refined sugar and everything is just really, really, you know, powerful. And, you know, where I was, there was the presence of that, but it wasn't totally overwhelming yet. You know, There was still this kind of intermixing of just how to survive because the, the where we were in the forest was so remote, we really were living off the land and it was way beyond the idea of off grid. I mean, this was just truly living off the land. And so the, the people when in need really were looking for a solution. And that's where the shamanism had still, uh, an opening, you know, if you could provide healing in a way or a treatment in a way for something that, that they needed, they were open to it. If they could actually receive something that was ultimately beneficial. And in my arrival, I, you know, I showed them that there was still something very powerful in the nature of their own medicines and in the nature of their own practices. But, uh, you know, it was something that we did create together. We created it through the master shamans that were willing to bring in a foreigner and train me. And then us being able to bring people, you know, to the medicine and show them the, the healing powers that it really had. And then I think it did evolve into something, you know, completely new, like you're saying, like a third thing. And I think that that was the beauty of shamanism was that it was so elastic that as a, a series of practices, it could, you know, ultimately include, all of these different changes that we ultimately brought to it by that co-creation.
2: That's beautiful. Beautifully put. And you know, you've know, you spent some time um, covering some misconceptions about shamanism from even the locals. I'm curious, what would you say are the most common Western misconceptions about shamanism?
0: Oh I think that you know the the biggest misconception is the uh, especially around the sacred plants in shamanism is the magic pill you know like mm. the thing that has fixed everything this mm. idea and belief of of wanting something just really easy and that it can be just you know sort of brought forth by a shaman and that that's uh you know something that that's even like a, a just a right to have i've I found it really interesting over the years working with people that when they come to the Amazon and they're looking for shamanic experiences, they really have within them like a true righteousness about having that experience. And I always thought that shamanism when it gave you a vision was a tremendous gift, you know? And so I've, I've been just kind of, I don't know, astounded really by how that idea of being able to have the vision and have, have that, that idea of that magic pill has proliferated the mythologies behind shamanism now on a more global level you know i always thought that when spirit showed up and gave us something like i say it was a tremendous gift and then all of a sudden it became something that was always supposed to happen and always be repeated and always be repeatable especially with the sacred plants and their ceremonies and so many people needing that healing and looking for it i've always you know found that to be i think the the biggest misconception when when people come to shamanism i think it's an opportunity to be really humble and, you know, be really grateful that there is something beyond uh, just the 3D physical and that we can receive help from that. And we can give it many names, source and spirit and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, spirits and different ways of, of engaging that, that realm beyond or realms beyond. And so I, I think that uh, that demand, the demandingness for the experience, I think, is probably the biggest misconception and that ultimately it's, it's it's a great gift when we receive it.
2: It's almost like we get addicted to the spiritual high that comes with these experiences of just being so open and expansive and you know we have to go back to our day-to-day hustle and bustle type of life not, not if you choose not to obviously or if you choose to reframe your perception that's a different reality but it's it's I've fallen victim to that as well before in in my you know years experiencing spirit realm is just like it's like an adrenaline rush that you want to you want more of and more of and more of and when it's quiet you wonder what am i doing wrong you doubt yourself you doubt the world and suddenly you go down that rabbit hole and i love that you mentioned that because it it is something sacred that can be internalized and integrated and if we're able to let go of even something to that caliber something of that caliber, we're able to continue to practice that humility, that humble nature of experiencing life in each passing moment as it needs to be experienced, and then making space for the next passing moment to happen as it needs to be experienced.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. Shamanism is, you know, it's a it's so vast as an as a exploration and means of exploration. And the Amazonian shamans that I worked with, what I what found really amazing was that they always started in a petition to spirit, not a demand. They were always petitioning. They were always saying, please show up. Please be part of this. Because without the the spirit, the shaman doesn't have any extraordinary capacities. It's a symbiotic relationship between the shaman and the plants and the spirits of the plants in the way that they describe their mythology. And so it always started at the very basics of an invocation to the spirit to be present and be part of the experience and to light up the experience for everybody and, and actually make it self you know, known, and um, every ceremony started that same way. It started from that original petition, and I agree that if if we can move beyond that, the nature of that demandingness, that we we ultimately have even more access to spirit. And I like it, you know, how you mentioned sometimes people feel like it's not working or wrong because it's not so blatant or or you know so present. Just last week, we were on retreat, and somebody asked me you know, why one night there were lots of visions and another night there was a lot less visions. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's just the, the nature of spirit. It doesn't even have an explanation. It's just literally the nature of the ebb and flow. And that, uh, you know, that that's something that we really need to get comfortable with.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, and I think there's a trust component to that to really trust that you are are given what you can handle and need in that moment in time. And spirit knows best, right? And the plants know best. And that kind of leads me into... My next, I guess, two part question. One, um, which sacred plants do you choose to work with? I know there are many, um, and I would love for you to get into that a little bit. And in what ways have you seen the lives of others transformed through the power of healing and the care of a shaman such as yourself?
0: Wow. Uh, In terms of sacred plants, you know, I come from a lineage where we work with lots of different kinds of plants. And we're given names based off of those plants we work with. So in the Amazon, we work with ayahuasca and uh, the trees, and you're called a palero when you work with the trees. There's also sanango, different varieties of sanango, Uchuk sanango and Chirik Sanango And I've trained in, the, trained in those, and they give you the name sanangero. There's towe, which they call you a toero. There's the jungle tobacco, which is a different kind of tobacco than you see in pipe tobacco or cigarettes. We which, know that. Oh, we yeah, know. We which is that. called mopacho, <laughs> no yeah. But not to be confused for the listeners with just normal tobacco, right? But uh, it's this medicinal plant that's used, and so they're called tabaqueros. And I've trained in all of those uh, varieties of shamanism. And then I've also... Uh, gone, you know, really deep into the Wachuma San Pedro practices and also with cannabis and uh, beyond that with kava and also different kinds of mushrooms like Amanita muscaria wow wow you got a, a, a whole
2: book <laughs> book there I yeah like i've, I've
0: trained with a lot of i mean I've, i really did dedicate I myself to it i loved it i mean i don't it's a passion and, and a pursuit and a love and also a calling like you say when you say that spirit knows best and that the plants really are guiding and know best in those moments i completely agree with that and to feel that guidance and to tap into it uh you know is what i gave my life to it, it just made the most sense to maintain the nature of that connection. And so that over the years, you know, over, over 15, 20 years of practice have, you know, led me down lots of rabbit holes and ultimately to lots of different plants. And I, I found all the teacher plants to be, you know, so important and, and so amazing in their own right and in their own way. And each one was such a sacred and special relationship, you know, and so there wasn't a, a reason to, uh, to limit that exploration.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. It's easy to go down that rabbit hole and to keep following that and to see where it leads. And, you know, I think a lot of our listeners are probably familiar with a few of the plants that you mentioned, such as Mother Ayahuasca, Cannabis, San Pedro, and all of that. What are, um I guess, when you go on retreat? What plants do you tend to work with the most or what, um, yeah, what are you working with the most? Is it ayahuasca or is it kind of a mix of, of all different ones?
0: Well, at Blue Morpho, we, uh, you know, we mostly practice ayahuasca shamanism. And then throughout the year, we also do different dietas with the trees and also Sanango retreats and San Pedro retreats. But, mm-hmm. you know, m- most of the time we're practicing ayahuasca shamanism when we're on retreat.
1: Mm-hmm, hmm And, you know, I, of course, this is kind of a big question, but, you know, you're working day in and day out with these people that come with you on retreat. And, you know, what are some of the common ways you've seen people transform through this, this,
0: uh, I guess, ceremony
1: and several days ceremony and ritual?
0: Yeah. I mean, the transformation over the years has been really amazing and miraculous. And, you know, that's the simplest way to put it people have healed from all different kinds of illnesses that didn't have solutions in, in any kind of medicine. And so I've seen, um, you know, psychological and psychosomatic illnesses just disappear. I've seen people who've been diagnosed with all different kinds of mental illness and suffering um, literally straighten that out and, and have the symptoms go away I've witnessed, uh, miraculous healings of, uh, cancer as well as, uh, Lyme's disease induced blindness, which was unbelievable that, uh, you know, I, one of our guests ultimately was healed of that. Um, wow. we've it's just like truly miraculous, truly miraculous transformations, but then also uh, at the same time, you know, it's not like that for everybody. And for some people, it's just gaining awareness and knowledge and, and understandings that are life transforming and shaping, or like you said, you know, uh, when to make a big decision, like to conceive a child or, or mm-hmm. you know, r- having relationships form and, uh, you know, finding partnership and, and finding romance and finding, you know, you know, marriage partners, like real soulmates through the nature of experience. All of that has happened from our retreats over the years. So there's been the miraculous to the, the most subtle. And I think the the part that is, you know, most endearing to me is when somebody really gains lasting benefit. So their life has truly been transformed, not just something that's, that, you know, was better for a period of time. And then the the problem comes back, but when it really is transformed, but then also the relationships that were formed. You know, when when people met each other through our retreats and fell in love and ended up creating family together and stuff, I think that's, you know, some of the most endearing changes because those people were, you know, searching for love and they found it. And, and not only that, they found a kind of bond that is in its own right uh, spirit. And I think that, you know, is one of the most beautiful gifts I've been able to be a part of.
2: Mm-hmm. Love that. Love that. And, you know, some of our listeners, they might be hearing you talk about these transformations and be like, okay, you know, let's let's play devil's advocate like the skeptic. They might wonder, uh, you know, if this is so healing and so much power can come from these plants, why isn't it spread out to the rest of the world? And I want to ask you, like, what's your opinion on these plant medicines being brought from their rooted culture and spreading out into places like the Western world, et cetera. You know, we had a shaman in Ecuador who travels frequently to Canada to teach about Wayusa and the power of that plant um, because he believes that it's important to get into the hands of the Western world. However, Wayusa is a much more docile, um, you know plant to use so I'm curious what's your opinion on the 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 pop-ups in the United States even of ayahuasca places um, San Pedro etc yeah
0: you know, and first of all I think that the miraculous is truly that it's a miracle and they happen at different times and the reason why you don't see that the plants being used for that kind of healing all the time is because not everyone gets healed all the time that way. And it's always been a mystery in shamanism, why one person can have that miracle and someone else doesn't even with what is seeming like very much the same illness. And Mm -hmm. so we always treated that as a petition for that miracle for everybody that came to be able to have that experience, you know, and I think, that's the best explanation that I can give of why some people receive that level of healing and some others don't. And we always uh, you know, thought of it very much to destiny and a relationship to the spirit, not a better or worse relationship, but just literally a different relationship. And I think in the, the Western case, there's been a, a separation that's been taking place between the shaman and the plants themselves. And I'm not sure how, you know, real that separation is in terms of the power of the plants or the power of the plants and the shaman working in a symbiotic relationship. You know, so the Western use of the plants has, you know, obviously grown tremendously. But what I see there is that uh, there isn't a, a real ingrained way of training the practitioners or a mass, you know, way of training practitioners. There isn't anything like a shaman university per se and because of that, there's been a lot more emphasis put on the plants themselves as the the part of the equation that brings the nature of the transformation and the healing. And, you know, in our line of work, not that one's right or wrong, because I don't really see it that way. But in our lineage, we were always taught that it was the spirit and the plant and the shaman together working in a kind of trinity that ultimately um, brought safety to the experience, coherence and consistency. The professionalism and uh, that consistency to the, the healing that they were providing. And so, you know, in the Western use of it, I just see that uh, the aspect of the shaman in many cases is less important in the mythology that gets, you know, presented around the experience and that there's a lot more emphasis put on the plants themselves. And I don't know how that will ultimately play out, but I think that that's really the big difference. And in terms of, you know, the Western expansion of it, ultimately, I think that it's, you know, natural. I think it's literally natural that cultures share themselves with each other over time, and especially with globalization, that the ideas around these really incredible experiences would spread. But ultimately, my concern is a legal one you know, that in in certain places the plants are not respected and they're understood outside of their shamanic and spiritual context and they're understood only in their chemical compounds and what they contain. And because of that, there's a lot of legislation and drug laws, et cetera, that, uh, you know, a lot of people now are deciding to not follow to be able to have the experience with the plants. And my concern for that ultimately is the way that governments around the world are going to treat, This idea of an expansion in shamanism, you know, there's a huge difference for the shamans between the sacredness of the plants and the use of them in ceremony and as a medicine and to be used appropriately when a medicine needs to be used versus experimentation. And I see that there's a lot of people in the West who want to try and they want to experiment with the plants. And while I don't think that there's a problem with that, I think that the, you know, the ultimate concern is just the way governments will treat it.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And also, you know, there is something to it of experiencing the plant in its own I guess, environment where, where it's, where its roots are. And so to have that experience and obviously to take a tour um, with, you know, your company, Blue Morpho or any other companies that might be out there that are reputable. on, uh, yeah, reputable and that are on this path of taking people into the forest, into um, this environment where, ayahuasca is cultivated and i think that has a lot to do with it instead of being in a an apartment building in new york city you know for the convenience of it so i'm just a big proponent of being with the forest with nature at that time while i'm commuting with that plant with the shaman and having that whole experience instead of almost like a partial experience
0: yeah, I agree with that. You know, I really, I really see that there is a big difference between meeting the plant, like you say, in an urban environment versus meeting the plant in the forest. When you're in the forest, you're surrounded by all of the life force that ultimately created these medicines in the first place. And you really tap into it. And the nature is part and parcel of the experience. I mean, people from our ceremonies over and over again, cannot believe how the insects and the animal sounds start to literally come into sync with the chanting <laughs> and the Ikeros and ceremony, and that there is a symbiosis that's being expressed between the shaman and the nature around them and the plants all growing around. And I think being in that environment is you know really special to be able to have the experience and it's it's like being in a huge cocoon of life and love represented by the jungle and by the plants themselves
2: mm. oh cocoon wow, cocoon of life and love love it
0: that's quotable. <laughs>
2: So, if any of our listeners are planning on partaking in a plant medicine ceremony or any ritual that you know involves working alongside a shaman, what would be your advice on finding the right place and the right shaman for them?
0: I think the relationship with a, a shaman and a place is really important. It's probably the most important aspect of interacting with the plant. I don't, I, I don't think there is a way to put enough emphasis on really feeling connected and trusting that place where you're going to do this and understanding that you're of like intention with the people that are holding the ceremony i you know it's it's not just the plant like i said and so i think the first thing that you need to do is do a lot of research you know do as much research as you possibly can um you know find testimonials that really do and reviews that really do describe the nature of the experiences people have and the consistency to the experiences. If there's any, you know, question around the place, or if there's any negative comments, look at them and see how the the center responds to the nature of those comments and why, or how the shaman responds to that as well, because both sides of the story are telling. And I think then you have your inner intuition to really check in and make sure that like i say you're of like intention and that you really feel connected to that place i think that's ultimately the most important aspect of it and if you're you know ever in a situation where you have a doubt about that with the people you're working with i think you should be able to voice that doubt and and question the you know the way that you're feeling and if the people who are you know organizing the retreat or the shamans themselves are not accepting of that i think that would be a big concern You know, I would I would be open about the nature of how I felt, especially if there was ever a moment where I didn't feel right about the experience. And then you can always make the decision at that point to stop and, you know, ultimately do something else or go somewhere else or find other shamans that really are more in alignment with you. But that key alignment is is what's most important, that you're there for the same reasons that they're there. And in the case of our center, our goal is to always hold the safest, most professional space for everybody and to fulfill their intentions so that we're always on the same page with our guests. So Mm -hmm. our intention is to help fulfill their intentions. And so then the ceremony is always cohesively bonded.
1: What type of screening do you do to, uh, if somebody were to say, interact with you and say, you know what, I want to come on this tour. I
0: want to do this with you. What type of screening do you, I guess do you do
1: any screening at all?
0: Yeah, it's absolutely important. There are a lot of um, different Western medicines that are just not compatible with the different plants. And so screening is absolutely important. And there's also certain people that aren't compatible for different reasons, either based on illnesses that they have and the kinds of reactions that you can have. Um, In the case of our center, there's an extensive screening process that you go through online where we have a questionnaire that's very much like you would see in a medical facility, a questionnaire of all medical history, and then any kinds of um, supplements, vitamins, or uh, medicines or medications that you would be on. And then we have a representative of our company that um, interacts with you via email or via a call to be able to go over any questions and concerns. If there's any you know, gray area or question or, or borderline scenario that, that could be there. And then um, in many occasions, if there is, we ask that the participant get a recommendation from their doctor. An actual written recommendation that they're of, you know, appropriate health to be able to participate in the experience or that they go on a plan with the doctor's approval of weaning off different medications for the amount of time necessary to be able to participate with the plants. We've always uh, been integrated with Western medicine, not separated from it. And so we've always seen that as being uh, part of the responsibility of the shamanic practice to understand the intricacies of Westerners and the complexities of their life. You know, if you're an indigenous person living off the land and eating the plants of the forest, you don't have the potential for a, a drug interaction, you know, from a kind of antidepressant or a blood pressure medication, et cetera, that could be mm-hmm. negatively affecting in ceremony. So we actually take our guests through an extensive process and, um, it has been, you know, something that's been part of our, our center since the inception of it.
1: I like that. I'm glad, you know, to hear that. And obviously our listeners, you know, that want to learn more about you and your work and possibly
0: coming on retreat with you, where can they find you? Uh, You should come to bluemorphotours.com and check us out online. And then also there's a Facebook group for Blue Morpho as well. Wonderful.
1: And is there any updates that you want to share
0: that you have going on right now or is anything coming up? Uh, we just have some amazing retreats coming up. Actually this time of year is when, um, we really get into the most dynamic time of our retreats. And so we have ayahuasca based retreats and, uh, ayahuasca and tree dieta as well as San Pedro retreats coming up and later in the year, a Sanango dieta as well. And so, um, You know, really everything that we offer is coming up in the next months. And if you're interested in these kinds of experiences in Amazonian shamanism, it's a great time to come visit us.
1: Mm, how wonderful. I encourage all of our listeners to definitely check that out. Um, Sarah and I have t- had our own experiences in the jungle and, uh, you know, it's something that we've both said that we'd love to do again. And, um, there's definitely some very good possibility. We'll be contacting you in the future at some point and, uh, really would love to share that space with you.
0: Fantastic. That'd be wonderful. We'd love to have you guys down.
1: Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed this conversation. It was really just, I'm glad that we got to break all of this down and and really heal any misconceptions that there may have been around shamanism. And, and thank you so much for your work and everything that you're doing for the world to help um, people through this shift of consciousness that's happening right now.
0: Well, thank you so much too. Thank you guys for your work and, and putting the message out there, you know. I've been really moved by the people in the the world of podcasting that have given a voice to these kinds of conversations. And so, you know, tremendous amount of love and heart for you guys for doing this. I really appreciate it.
1: Great, great interview with Hamilton. We really appreciate him coming on. And, you know, if you guys are serious about really diving into some of these sacred plant medicines definitely recommend his center go down check out blue morpho tours you know sarah and i as we mentioned we're down in iquitos and we've really experienced that town and you know there's a lot going on and there's a lot of people out there that maybe don't have your best interest in mind but we definitely know that hamilton does and you know his center has just gotten such great reviews. so definitely recommend checking him out going down there do a little tour Check out the jungle. It's an incredible place, super healing, and couldn't recommend it more. So, you know, if you guys like this interview, like any of our other interviews, we definitely, definitely need your help by going to Apple Podcasts, rating, subscribing to us, leaving us a review, as well as going on to our social media. Check us out on Instagram at Soul and Wonder Love. Share your favorite episodes, and you can also find us on Facebook at Soul and Wonder. Again, we really appreciate your time. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time.